Welcome to another edition of the Work Life Hub podcast. To find out more and to listen to other episodes, please go to www.worklifehub.eu. Thank you so much, Scott, for sitting down with us to this very first podcast. Uh, we are here in New York at the Work and Family Researchers Network Conference. We're really excited to meet you in person, not, uh, not only on Twitter. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you maybe to, for you to introduce yourself and, and what do you do? Sure. Well, first off, thank you so much for having me uh, on the podcast. I've been a fan of your work uh, for a while as well, and I'm very honored to be first. So yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you very much. Um, again, my name is Scott Beeson. I'm a professor of management at Fairleigh Dickinson University, which is in New Jersey, um, not that far from New York City. And uh, in addition to that, I, um, I actually, you know, I've kind of pivoted a bit in my academic career from doing kind of purely academic research and just teaching, and I still teach, and I still do research, but um, I've made this turn about two years ago to try to, instead of just talking to an academic audience or just to my students about these issues, um, to try to um, speak more to the public, um, either the business press or um, through social media or through uh, mainstream press. And in, in particular, I've been a work and family researcher for quite a long time. Um, and I have a particular interest in looking at the issues facing working fathers, which, you know, about 15 years ago when I started getting into academic research on this topic, I was focused on workplace flexibility. But I noticed that there was almost an assumption that work and family issues was, was a mom's issue. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of reasons for that. Obviously, the work and family interface tends to land harder on women than it does on men. Um, but it did seem to me that something was missing from the conversation and that, that what was missing was the conversation about fathers. So that's when I started to turn my academic work towards that. And then about two years ago again uh, is when I... Um, decided to try to, instead of just talking to other academics or just to my students, uh, see if I can engage fathers in a wide, um, you know, wide spectrum of, of working dads, and also maybe engage companies and also do a little advocacy, uh, which I've been lucky and, and really um, been able to do uh, over these last two years. As you say, it's quite. It's been a very gendered uh, discourse, a lot around women. What were people's reactions when you started talking about working dads? Well, I honestly, it's been a better reception or easier reception than I think uh, I anticipated at first. Uh, but I think it's an issue whose time has finally come, and at least in the United States. And you know, again, this may vary for where you're listening to it, but. Um, in the United States, I think we're finally starting to recognize that, um, you know, the traditional family structure of the man who works and the woman who stays at home, you know, has not been the typical household for 30 or 40 years now. And we're finally, I think, recognizing that both men and women are, in, in most households in America, are both working outside the home. And everything still needs to get done at home. You know, kids still need to be taken care of and they still need to brush their teeth and be, you know, you know, put down for bed and played with and taught to read and, you know, the house still needs to get clean and food still needs to get cooked. But now the work is starting to get distributed in a different way. And I, I think, you know, it's, it's not something that has been talked about enough, I think, openly, but I think it's, it's one of those open secrets that 
yeah, of course dads, uh, you know, are working and want to be really good involved dads, of course, but we can't talk about it. Um, so now that I'm talking about it, I think the, the, the reaction's been more positive than anything. There are still skeptis, um, skeptics, um, you know, people who might be a little more traditional. Mm. Um, I think a lot of companies are having a, a hard time seeing this as a, um, as, as a father's issue. But I think for many companies, I think um, the point is to go beyond looking at work and family and kind of looking at, hey, how can we better support our employees as whole people and you know part of that is understanding that they have lives outside of work and if they, we can if employers can support them in these other endeavors then the employees more likely to be engaged and you know more loyal and, and stay longer and I think that's the argument you make with skeptical business people is is make it more of a business issue you know how much money do you save when you know an employee that you've poured three years of training into quits. I mean, how much money do you lose when that happens? You, you lose a lot. Um, so you can start t talking about that business case. And, and luckily, there's, there are many forward-thinking organizations that are already there. But there's probably more who aren't there yet. And mm. particularly with the, the global recession, I think um, employees are a little less assertive of their rights. And some employee, employers are, as a result, kind of overworking some of their uh, employees. Which is a problem. This is this is really interesting, and I would like to come back a little little sure. bit later at your specific work with the company. Sure. But now maybe just going back to this general. Do you yeah. think that this is a, a generational issue? Yeah, I, I think more and more yes, and the data shows this as well that millennials, um, so you know people who are in their twenties and thirties now, they aspire to different types of careers than than their parents have. They aspire to different types of marriages. Now that doesn't always happen. Um, but um, a, a lot of sociological research shows that a lot of men would rather be in what's called an egalitarian uh, relationship uh, with their spouses, uh, where things are relatively 50-50 in, in work and at home. Uh, it doesn't always play out that way, but at least the aspiration's there, and I think people are trying to figure that out. Um, so part of it's generational, and also, you know, most millennials or younger, you know, people who are in their 30s perhaps, most of them grew up with two working parents. Mm -hmm. So it's not quite as foreign a concept as it, as it has been. However, you know, one of the things that's, that's to our detriment is that those in top level positions in business tend to be older men who do not have wives that work. Um, and so to some degree, there's, there's not the same level of understanding and empathy as there could be at the top of organizations. And perhaps when that changes, then, then we'll see kind of slow change start to accelerate. Yeah, we, and the, the same thing in public policy, by the exactly. way. Um, That's what, exactly what I wanted oh, to say. Great. Yeah, the same thing. I mean, if you look at Congress, for example, um, you know, our Congress is older, whiter, richer and tend to have uh, wives whose primary role is to take care of the family and to support the political career. Um, and, you know, again, that's perhaps a lack of, you know, a, a nuanced understanding of what's going on. But uh, research has found that judges who have daughters um, are ha have become more progressive on women's issues and in, in their decision-making. So maybe part of this we learn from the next generation even... Um, we don't have to wait for them necessarily. Maybe they can help us along. I've also read somewhere, and maybe it was actually one of your articles, okay. that uh, men 
who have daughters are more favorable towards the flexible working requests of their female staff or, or those who have working wives? Sure. Maybe? That wasn't my research, but I did report yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yes, I, I, I've, I've seen that as well. And also, um, girls who have involved fathers tend to be less... Um, I don't know how to put this, but they tend to be less less restricted mm. in their gender roles as they grow up. They're more likely to seek a wider variety of careers um, and get married later, and and some of these other issues. Um, so, you know, it, it's all intertwined, which is what makes this really interesting to study, but also difficult to study sometimes mm-hmm. because everything's related to everything else. So, how do you go about then changing this culture within a company? Whew. Especially if you have these top CEOs who got there by working. 90 hours. I was so, I had a big American culture shock this morning <laughs> when uh, one of the panelists was talking about uh, the 90 hour work week. Yeah. And I realized with my 37 and a half in Europe, I'm working part time. Right. No, I'm absolutely. And well, listen, there's, there's a lot of people who have kind of regular careers and professions, but really, if you're in kind of big business and finance and, you know, and consulting, you know, any of these kind of big businessy careers or, or being a lawyer, the way you get, you know, all the way up to the top is to outwork everybody else. And that just takes an enormous amount of time. And I'd be surprised if there's any, you know, what we call C-level executive, CEO, COO, et cetera, who works less than 65 hours a week. Um, that's just the way it is, and that's how you out, you know, how you outcompete the people that you started when you were hired with them, mm-hmm. and get to the top. And so there's this culture of overwork um, that's that's in a lot of workplaces, and you know some companies, even these competitive, ultra competitive ones, are starting to recognize this. The Boston Consulting Group, for example, uh, implements something called the Red Zone, which is um, I don't know if you if you're driving a car yeah. and you keep the accelerator all oh, the yeah. way, you, the, the needle goes to the red and stays in the red. Okay, and what they're, what they're saying is they when the they, consumption right when they notice that an employee has worked so many hours over a certain period of weeks, they force the person to go home and unplug mm. um, and reduce their hours down to an actual normal work week, forty hour ish work week, uh, for at least a couple weeks so they could recharge and then. Go back to being overworked, mm-hmm. I, I suppose, in, in this workplace. <laughs> but, uh, but at least it's a recognition of that problem, right? So, um, I, I think one of the the ways you uh, change a corporate culture is um, actually you change a corporate culture by making a thousands little decisions uh, mm-hmm. along the way, and that's how that's how leaders do it. Um, and human resource management policies can be part of it, but it can't be all of it. Um, it has to be kind of the attitudes of supervisors and the micro decisions that are being made. Um, and culture changes with these thousand little decisions um, over time. Um, but you know, one way to maybe motivate some of the people who can make some of these decisions is to, to let them really understand the chronic overwork. Now, occasional overwork happens, right? Everybody has crazy weeks where they have to put in extra. And that's fine. That's you know, that's part of being a good employee, I think. But when it's chronic, when the expectations are 70 hours a week, you know, and constant, you know, then, you know, people don't sleep well. Uh, people have uh, health issues. People don't, aren't leading fulfilling lives. And this leads to lowered performance over time and burnout and lowered motivation and more likely to lose employees. And that's kind of a business case you can make, I think, that, that even... You know, people who are just looking at the finances can understand that. 
Would you say that it's easier to start your career by, you know, kind of assuming from the start that you don't want to overwork mm. yourself or at what stage could because obviously right. when you become a father then it's or a parent that's when you're but then it's very difficult to dial down yes. from the responsibilities the, the 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 excitement of the job yeah absolutely and in fact this is interesting because um that the phenomenon book from last year, Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg, she says that women should, you accelerate your career as far as you can before you wind up with the kid, uh, because then you might have options at that point. If you've gotten yourself to a certain mm. point in your organization, now you can control your work time a little better. Now you can perhaps have, have support structures in place. Um, and if you start leaving work, leaving your career before you have to leave your career or stop your career mm -hmm. before you have to stop your career, you're really hurting yourself. But I, I would say people need to just make conscious choices, really. I mean, there's no wrong answer to how you want to run your career. Um, you know, if you want to make an awful lot of money, that's great. But you should understand what the, the trade-offs are yeah. uh, in terms of time with family or, or time for other aspects of your life. Um, and also what it might impact with your spouse's career, for example. Um, if, on the other hand, your priority is to be a highly involved dad or highly involved mother or you know, a community member or, or you know, take care of these other aspects, if you understand that you're limiting your career prospects by doing that to some degree, um, that's okay too. But I think you know, making conscious cho choices is, is, is really a priority because what happens, and I'm not sure if this happens um, everywhere, but um, a lot of young adults choose their careers right out of college when they're still single, when they don't have family responsibilities <laughs> or anything, and then no, ten no mortgage. And then ten years later, now you have the mortgage and the the you know the spouse and children, and but your career you haven't rethought your career mm. along the way. So I think just constantly kind of understanding where am I now? How well does my career fit my life? How well are my life choices fitting my life? And if we do that every now and then, especially talking with our spouses or other important people in our lives about it, um, I think we'll make better choices and, mm -hmm. and we'll lead better lives. Um, I just, I feel bad for people who are on autopilot and they just, they made a decision 10 years ago and they're still just living that without ever thinking, I could do something differently, mm. you know. Um, and one thing here in America, um, it's probably more of a problem than in, in the EU, um, just the financial commitments that people make to, you know, these, these big houses or cars or, you know, for the, the fact... standard of living. For really? college expenses, yeah, which yes. is different than in Europe, yes. and health care expenses, which is different yeah. than Europe. Um, you could really be trapped by your financial circumstances. So, you know, another thing I think that could be helpful is to, to understand that if you make a, a big financial commitment... Um, you, you should be sure about it before you do um, mm -hmm. because you know you don't want if you have fewer financial commitments you have more freedom to do different things in your career um, do you see a workplace revolution coming do you think there's going to be a, a gradual change can we can we shift from this very classic um, career template mm -hmm. of college work as hard as you can and then at 65 you can finally start gardening yeah well, I don't think there'll be a revolution anytime soon. Uh, maybe there'll be an evolution on it. Um, I, I think some people are re recognizing that you can't, many people aren't stopping working at 65 because they can't afford to either. Yeah, so, exactly. um, 
the the old deal of you know yes you get out of college or high school and you work for the same organization for a long period of time that's gone I mean that's been gone for a while um, and to some degree it's liberating that people are in more in control of their careers but with all that risk being placed on the individuals make the choices it's it's difficult so I don't know I think I think there is momentum behind this um, you know I was recently at a actually at at the White House uh, for our, for an event specifically looking at working fathers issues and there was the, the White House Chief of Staff was there and the Head of the Economic Advisors was there and the Labor Secretary was there um, and you know business leaders were there and a few people who were at this conference were there as well and you know it's that's a beginning that, that might be an opening for, for something down the road but you know social movements take a long long period of time and and one thing that the labor secretary uh, mentions at the um, at that White House meeting was the civil rights law in America was proposed in 1948 and was passed in 1964 um, and that was for racial um, you know um, civil rights uh, along racial lines and you know so sometimes it takes you know 15 20 years of, of constant pushing before a breakthrough happens mm -hmm. so um, you know perhaps that's where the US culture might be going if, if we push lo far, far enough long enough maybe some things will change and I'm, I'm sure there are similar pressures in a lot of the EU countries as well and I know that's why you do the work you do I mean in Europe it's, it's a very very great diversity mm -hmm. um, for example in the Netherlands when fathers when, yeah. when men have children they get one day off and then they work four four days a week even in actually management positions okay. So what would be the ideal mm. scenario? What are we pushing for here? Sure. Well, um, I, I am encouraged that the three states, I mean, we have 50, but three states um, have uh, some paid parental leave uh, policies in place. There is a bill in the Senate that's going to sit there forever because one party is not going to pass anything for the foreseeable future. But um, <laughs> Which party? The two? Uh, I, I don't want to get overly okay. political, but no. <laughs> um, yeah, I if you know if you know your US uh, government uh, there's one party that's basically not letting anything happen uh, in our government and um, but there's a proposal to, to expand this nationwide that would at least would be a big help um, I don't think we'll ever get quite the policies you see in in northern Europe and in part you know some of those policies were put in place to uh, maintain population growth um, and, and other things that aren't quite an issue in the United States mm. uh, but I, I think We've been talking about family values in America for such a long time, and it just seems to me that support for working families in terms of parental leave, in terms of um, you know minimum wage, in terms of you know these other things, that's doing family values. And you know I, I've been frustrated for so long that we talk about family values and we, we don't really support them like we should mm. in, in our country. And what do, maybe as a final question, sure. so what can companies do, sure. or employers, if they do immediate? Sure. Know? Well, you know, I think, you know, the, the short answer is you can implement some policies in the short term that would really help. Uh, you know, companies that can, um, you know, take it upon themselves to be, to, to initiate workplace flexibility, to, um, change how they evaluate performance and stop looking at how long somebody sits in their office and really look at what they're doing uh, would really help. And there are some companies that, um, in fact, two were, uh, one at the White House um, on my panel really talked about that, how they went to a 
we don't care where you are when you work, but we're going to track your performance. And in fact, they found some of the people who were working 75 hours a week weren't very effective. Mm -hmm. um, and some of the people working 40 hours a week did everything they were supposed to do. So they were like, great, you're we have no complaints, right? So, um, you know, just changing that. So some of these workplace expectations should change. We need to focus on performance and not on these other indicators like time. Um, you know, but implementing policies like leave policies and workplace flexibility, those are the, the things that would most directly help in the short term. You know, unfortunately, I, I, it's hard to say, you know, if I could snap my fingers, I, I would change our culture a bit um, to do what I was saying before about really... Um, supporting family values and helping families um, not just earn enough money for the dinner table but to be able to be there too um, and that's just you know for, for many families that's a struggle I mean I'm, I'm pretty lucky in that you know I'm a college professor um, I have a pretty autonomous job um, my wife and I can flex our schedules together pretty well um, and I make a decent enough living that we can patch what we need to patch. But I, I realize I'm very lucky in, the, mm -hmm. in that regard. And I just kind of wish that more, uh, more people um, kind of had access to uh, workplace flexibility and to um, you know, some level of safety and comfort that they know their families are going to be okay. Okay. Well, excellent. Right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank, I'm, you. thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm it was so great. happy to be the first one. Yeah, All right. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>